Exodus chapter 16. That's right, Risen Kids. Don't you guys like that logo, Risen Kids? Awesome. That's what it's all about. It is all about our kids. Our kids matter in this church. Hallelujah. Exodus 16, verse 27 to 30. If we could place that up on the screens. Reading from the New Living Translation. If you notice, we've kind of been parked in this chapter for a little while. Exodus 16. And we've done a couple of things. We've gone forward, reverse, forward, reverse. Because there's so much in this chapter that needs to be covered next week. We'll move to Exodus chapter 17. But here it is. And some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. Now, let me just stop this for a second. The people had been grumbling. The people had been complaining. There was no food. They were going to starve. God gave them provision. He said, come out. This is how much I want you to pick up. He said, but on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, don't go out. Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. Continuing on. And the Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. And that is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day so that there will be enough for two days. Okay, I I just want to pause there for a second. God cares about where you invest and spend and schedule your time. God cares about that. And if God cares for you to be in his house, then he's going to figure out a way for you to make it there. It's not only about praying for it. The second that an opportunity comes for you to bust out of a job that, that ties you up on Sundays, move out as quickly as you can. There will be enough for two days. And on the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick up food on the seventh day. What does that mean? Don't work. Don't go out. Don't work. And so the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. So let me just pause there for a second. What is the seventh day? And how does that apply to us? Sabbath, in Spanish, if you know, Saturday is called sábado. Sabbath. Saturday is the Sabbath, according to the Jews. Okay? Now, Jews worship on Saturdays. They go to synagogue on Saturdays. Christians worship on a Sunday. Why? Now, some people have some really weird explanations for this. I'm going to give you the real deal. Here's the deal. The Bible says it pretty clearly. Jesus resurrected on a Sunday, and so Christians began to worship on Sundays. That's why we worship. This is our Sabbath moment. But we are not because the law is broken. There is no longer a need for Christians to observe a day, such as a Saturday, or even a Sunday, as a Sabbath. Here's the thing now. Jesus just expects you to make it here to worship him. He expects you to take Sabbath moments in your life. Sabbath opportunities in your life. So there's a question. This question literally plagues everyone in this room. Get ready for it. How do you find time for friends, family, school, and faith in everyday life? How do you find... In the midst of the hustle and bustle, in the midst of going to work, in the midst of working overtime, how do you find time for all these things? See, we all have so much in our lives that we're trying to balance and find time for, but yet there doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to fit everything. 
Don't you wish that there were more hours in the day? You know, I think it's in Alaska, if I'm not mistaken. They have total days, total times of the years that the day is totally light for about 24 hours. There's 24 hours of the day is just totally light. There are times of the years. Some of you, if, if you guys, if, if there was 24 hours of light, you'd be out there working 24 hours of the day. But there are other things that press for your attention. What are the things that you guys are juggling right now? Or feel like you should be trying to juggle when it comes to your schedule. Maybe it's school, doing homework with kids. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's family time. Family time is really important. Your family is the first church that you have. And if you're the head of that home, you are the first pastor that that church has. Maybe it's sports and clubs and music or practicing an instrument or concerts or boyfriends or girlfriends or, or friends or devotions or reading or maybe sleep. Boy, <clears throat> I know the value of sleep now that I have revisited once again having a newborn. I mean, that, that baby wakes up all the time. It's unbelievable. She squeals during the night. <laughs> For my wife to pick her up and, and, and defeat her. See, finding time to balance all of our lives is really hard. And to be honest, I'm probably one of the worst examples of trying to balance things in your life. I tend to overpack my schedule with way too much. And I end up having to pay for it in my relationships with my wife sometimes. Or simply my own energy or your own stress levels. You see, there's a science to knowing how to schedule and invest your time. I heard a preacher preach the other day, and he said, he said this. He said, women are going to bed tired because they're taking care of their kids. And men are going to sleep refreshed because they get home, they're totally tired. They don't want to deal with anything, absolutely anything at all. And so they're, the first thing that they do is go home and sleep. And this pastor issued a rebuke to these men. He goes, men of God, you need to go to sleep just as tired as those women do. Those kids need you. They need the playtime with you. They need the time that you take to invest in them. Men... Children need fathers. Grandparents, children need grandpas and grandmas around. So I want to do some exploring through the Bible about this thing called Sabbath. What is it? Why is God so passionate about it? And how did it apply to the issues of balancing our schedule? So let's dive in. What is Sabbath? What does the word mean? Where does it come from? See, Sabbath is a Hebrew word that literally means to desist to cease or to rest. Most people attribute the first reference of Sabbath to come from the creation story. Desisting. After the first six days of creation where God put the world together, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 to 3 says this. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. That's that word, rested, Sabbath. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. These verses explain the seventh day of creation. So take a look at with me at Genesis 1 if you have that in your Bibles. I just want to make a point here in Genesis chapter 1. Check out the difference between this day's description compared to the first six days. So look at this day's description. I just finished reading it to you. And check out the description of the rest of it. There is one major difference by omission 
Each of the first six days ends with the phrase, and evening passed, and morning came, and marked the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, the sixth day. Does anyone have any idea why this phrase was omitted when it related to the Sabbath? Someone once shared that this was on purpose because God was trying to express an invitation to come and join God in that rest. This is a poetic way of God saying, come to me, trust me, let me take care of you and find rest and peace and comfort in me. From here, the first time in the Bible, so after this creation narrative, after this story where it speaks about God resting on the seventh day, the next time that we see this come about is on our, is on our principal scripture for this morning, Exodus chapter 16. And for the sake of time, let me quickly walk through the passage as opposed to reading uh, the whole thing again. So we spoke on this a few weeks ago, but let me recap. The Israelites are delivered from Egypt. They're in the desert, and 30 days after their deliverance at the Red Sea, and the people begin to whine, and they begin to complain to Moses. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. They were a ragtag people. They couldn't get themselves organized, but now they were an assembly. They were organized. They were unionized, and they were ready to strike. See, God responds to this by saying that it will rain bread in the morning and that quails will come in the evening. That he gives them three instructions. Verse 16, take only what you need. Verse 19, don't save any. And verse 23, on the sixth day you can keep double because tomorrow will be the day of rest, the Sabbath. So what is the root of what God is getting at with people on the Sabbath? Trust. And how do the people do when he's testing them? They don't do good at all. They are all actually gathered what they needed in verse 18. But then they try to save some, verse 20. And went out on the Sabbath to look for bread. God told them, don't do it. They decided to do it anyway. Sounds a lot like us, right? In verse 29, God speaks to Moses about the Sabbath and the people's stubbornness. And he says this to them. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day and no one is to go out. So what's God saying about the Sabbath and God's purpose for it? It's supposed to be a reminder of God's call for us to rest in him. It's supposed to be a reminder to us that we are to trust God for provision. So think about this for a second. Beyond simply doing too much, what is one of the reasons people get too busy and neglect downtime and rest? See, we live in a culture. I mean, my friend pastored a church in Hawaii. And he said it was so difficult for to get people to come even at the appropriate time that they were supposed to come for an event because everybody's so relaxed and so lackadaisical. I said, that, that is not as much of an issue over here. I said, I said, here we just have an issue getting people out because everybody's so busy. They're working. They're, they're, they're 
they're working overtime. They're working triple time. <laughs> I mean, we just live in the busiest place in our entire nation. The northeast of the United States is literally the busiest place in the entire nation. So what are some excuses that we use on why we can't rest, on why we can't relax, on why we can't spend time with our families? Because I want to shatter them this morning for you because some of them are just illusions that we have placed before us. Some of them are just illusions that the culture of the United States has spoken upon us. Some of the reasons are I have to work. I need to pay the bills. I need to be popular. I need, I need to be accepted. Let me just tell you something. Pause for a moment. Your, your child will prefer for you to be driving around in a jalopy and spending time with them than for you to be driving around in a Benz and spending overtime at work just so that you could cover those costs. You feel me? You understand, church? <laughs> you put time into what is important to you. You place time and invest into those places that are important to you. Maybe you don't need the 72-inch widescreen TV. Maybe your family could do with some outdoor activities every once in a while. There needs to be some investment. There needs to be some Sabbath moments. There needs to be some time of rest. There needs to be some family nights. Because if you only do one thing, it will overwhelm you. And when that one thing is over, when that job is done, and retirement comes to the horizon, you will find nothing to do with your life. When I was in the military, I remember hearing it loud and clear. There, there was a sergeant major. There's probably one of the highest enlisted ranks that you could ever achieve in the United States Army, the sergeant major, female sergeant major, she was so good at her job. She absolutely loved the Army. Absolutely loved the Army. Guess what? Retires. Six months later, passed away. They absolutely love what they do. But what happens when all of that goes away? I tell it to my wife all the time. And I pose it to her this way because we can take this same principle and apply it to a marriage and I say to my wife all the time I said Crystal I love my daughters with all my heart I'm so happy I can say daughters I love my daughters with all my heart they're they're incredible they're amazing and I love them I said but I want to tell you something it started and it will end with me and you And if we place more importance on them than we do on this relationship between us, when they're gone, there will be nothing left of us. And it's the same principle holds true in your work schedule. If you don't invest, there will be nothing left of you. When I talk to people and I say to them, Hey, who? Uh, explain to me a little bit about yourself. You want to know the first thing that people bring out? Their job. Their employment. Well, I'm a contractor. Oh, well, I'm a plumber. Oh, well, I'm a teacher. Let me tell you, you are, you are not that. That's just what you do. 
It's just a means to an end. It's a means to making some money in your life. Who you are is far deeper than what you spend 8 hours, 12 hours, 13 hours of your day doing. If you don't know who you are and you place your value on what your company says that you are or what your job says that you are, then at the end of the day when all of that is over, there will be nothing left of you and you won't know who you are. Guess what? Men of God, that's why I think we go through midlife crises. That's why I think we go through midlife crisis. Because we see the end of something and we do not know what is next. And so in an effort to try to find ourselves, we try to find everything that we like and invest in all these variety of hobbies and spending all this money to try to fill a void and fill a need. But the issue with that is, is that we never found out who we are from the beginning because we always lived under the guise of our employment and of our title. Jesus doesn't want you to do that. What is the things that you have been placing before him? I need to be popular. I need to be right around. Well, what would the, the neighborhood think of me if I... No, those things aren't necessarily... It's not necessarily a bad thing to need to pay bills. It's not a bad thing to need to work. Some of these are totally legitimate reasons, but in a lot of ways, what I find for my life, my busyness is founded in the fact that I don't trust God to provide for my needs. And so I need to do everything within my power. So I take control, and I try to do everything on my own, and I end up exhausted because I just can't do everything. Let me tell you something. I want to show you the greatest tool that you will ever have in your life. Are you ready? This is the greatest tool. Better than a drill, better than a hammer. It's the power of no. If you say yes to everything, then you can't say yes to the best thing. Sometimes, and it's not an, an, an offensive thing, sometimes you need to be able to say no. Can you do this for me? Uh, let me tell you something. I've had, I've had phone calls before where people are like, uh, Pastor, can you arrive? And this didn't happen in this church. It's in China somewhere else. <laughs> and nobody here has done it, I assure you. Call me, Pastor, I need you to come immediately right now, immediately, immediately right now. And I arrive, I get in my car to the forsaking of my family. And I'll arrive and I'll go and I'll get in the car. And when I get there, guess what? It wasn't as important as it was. Sometimes, as a pastor, I need to come out and say, is it an emergency? Yes, yes, pastor. What, what do you define as an emergency? Is somebody's life about to be lost? Is somebody about to take their life? Has somebody passed away? If those are things that are happening, I will make my way there immediately. If not, on Monday at 10 a.m., I'll make it my business to be there. Because right now, my family needs me. And I need time with my family. What are you placing value in in your life? Do the pals want to go out and hang out and have fun? There's nothing wrong with the pals going out and hanging out and playing a couple of rounds of pool. There's nothing, no issue with that. Are you doing that, however, to the neglect of your family? Are you doing that to the neglect of romance with your spouse? For those of you who are married, maybe it's time that you leave the kids with somebody that you trust and go out and have a date night and rekindle what's been lost. 
You can't control everything. There'll be so much factors, and guess what? Here's what happens. Every time you place an excuse and say, well, I can't do it today because of this. I can't do it today because I can't spend time. I can't rest today because of this. Guess what? There will always be an excuse. There will, the busyness will never end unless you tell it to stop and unless you halt it. The busyness will absolutely never stop. And you will reach the end of your life wondering, where was all the time? Let me tell you something. There is a dangerous statement that people make when they say, aren't you sleeping well? No, I'll do that when I die. I'll get a lot of that. That's the worst statement that you can make. How many of you have made that statement? Come on, admit it. Yeah. That's the worst statement that you can make. There needs to be some rest for your soul here on this earth. It's not just a heavenly thing. Some people think Sabbath is a heavenly concept. The taking of a Sabbath is not a heavenly concept. It's an earthly concept designed by a heavenly mind. It's for you. You need it. You need it. God placed it there because you need it. Because he knew without pauses in your life, you would overwhelm with stress and you would drown. And I am convinced that in our culture, we have folks that are dependent on psychotropic prescription medication that don't need to be. And the only thing standing between their way of health and their medication is a time of rest. And because the world has overwhelmed them with busyness, they medicate themselves so that they don't have to feel the anxiety. The anxiety of the busyness anymore. They become totally numb to it. Number three, Sabbath is a gift that God gives us. Why? Because he doesn't want us to burn out and become unhealthy. Exodus chapter 23 verse 12 says this. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest. So that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Listen to that. May be refreshed. What's the purpose of the Sabbath? Refreshing. Does the Sabbath need to be on a Sunday? No. The Sabbath is a time of rest. It's a time of pause. It's a time where you can say no to everything else in life to recoup, re-energize, and release stress. The next time that we see the word Sabbath comes up in the Bible is, is actually in the Ten Commandments. And also in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12 through 15. So let's look at that passage. And let's look at specifically verse 15. So what's the significance of verse 15? Let's look at that. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So God is saying this. God is saying, I brought you out of there. That environment of slavery to work. That environment of never having rest. And he's saying to the people, don't live like you're still in Egypt. How many of you feel like you're still living in Egypt? God has liberated you. He's brought you freedom. You're well on your way. He is leading you. But you're still living your life like you're still attached to Egypt. 
beyond these passages that we've already looked at, let me share some facts about the Sabbath. Number one, Exodus and Leviticus reminds God, uh, God reminds the people 11 times to remember the Sabbath. Why so many times? Because it was something that was utterly and absolutely important. It's important for you to get your rest. It's important for you to relax. Now, let me just pause. For those of you who are slothful and lazy, tune me out for a few moments. Because you, you seem to be in an eternal Sabbath. And that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking to those who have not taken a moment and scheduled a time in their life to say, I'm not doing anything today. I'm not going out. No grocery shopping. We're hanging out. Maybe a date night needs to happen. Maybe I need to have some spa time for myself. Maybe I just need to soak in a tub in my house on my own and relax and recuperate and spend some time reading some devotions. I need to schedule some time with Jesus because it's been far too long that I've had an opportunity to be alone with Jesus. That is what Sabbath means. Eight times when the prophets are challenging the Israelites with how they're living and that they're disobeying God's command, Sabbath seems to get special mention. Listen to this, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 14. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them the commands, decrees, and laws. Why, why not just, why wouldn't God just say, hey, you, you made to them known your commands, decrees, and your laws? Why did he have to mention the Sabbath right there? First. Because it was important. Because guess what? When you don't take your Sabbath and your rest, your life is in disarray. You are more prone to sin. When you're not rested, when you're in anxiety, when you don't have the time to think through things, you are more prone to fall into the pit that Satan has designed for you to fall in. When you are stressed out with your marriage because you haven't had a date night, you are more prone to cheating on your wife. When you are stressed out with your job because you haven't had a Sabbath, you're more prone to doing something that will get you fired or get you disciplinary or corrective action for your job. You see, in, it, 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 they're learning in, in, in places of employment are learning slowly that you don't just happen to work people to death. No good. Happy workforce is good. That's why in companies like Google and Apple, they have volleyball areas and they have lunch areas where they give their employees chance to have fun in the workspace because they know that a better work, a more Sabbath-orientated work environment produces better results. I know a church in our uh, I know a church that is just immense, it's, it's big, and, and their folks, their pastors work six days a week. I said, no way, no how, not in our church. I said, here's, here's our schedule in our church. I said, I want our pastors working four days a week. If they need to work 12-hour shifts, they'll work, or 10-hour shifts, four days a week. I prefer to them to do that so they have three days off to be with their family and to relax and have Sabbath. That's important to me as a pastor. If my ministry team cannot function because they're in such disarray because they haven't had a Sabbath, they're no good to me and they're no good to you as a church. Sabbath-orientated locations and work environments do better for the soul. Lastly, I want to take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. If you could turn with me there, if you kindly could. And it says this, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Guess what? You want to know the punishment for those who do not receive Jesus as their own? It's an eternal existence without any Sabbath moment. Separation from God, no Sabbath. Eternal torment, no Sabbath. There's no respite. There's no chance to get a break. There's no chance to get some water in the lake of fire. So being removed from God means being removed from the Sabbath. Not receiving Jesus into your own means being excluded from the Sabbath in the eternity to come. See, in this passage, the writer of Hebrews is challenging the Christians that he is writing to that if they believe in Jesus, then they can trust him to take care of them. Verse 6 refers back to Israel and Judaism and how God had invited his people to come to him and they failed because they disobeyed God. Adam and Eve and Israel over and over and over again failed God. And verse 7 is so important because it says another way was provided and that way was Jesus through the cross and the time to enter that rest is when? Today. Jesus is our forever Sabbath. Jesus is our forever Sabbath. It's why eternity with him is an eternal Sabbath. No more pain, no more tears. It's why we say when people die, and really the, we, we politically correct it, rest in peace. Here's the real deal, is that the only folks who rest in peace are those who have, who have given their hearts over to Jesus. I walked through the cemetery the other day, Saturday and Memorial Day, we... I went out with the fire department, and we went out to the cemetery, and we began to place flags at, at tombs. And, and just, it's feel like God has been speaking to me really about life and death and Sabbath for a few weeks now. And so I'm placing these flags, and, <clears throat> and I began to wonder to myself, I said, gee, I said, I said, I wonder how many folks here are saved. What a daunting question. What a difficult thing to answer. And I remember because we walked through the entire cemetery finding every tomb to go to. And, and I just remember we walked through this area and the chief was explaining to me how that person had passed away. One person had passed away in a, in a fire. And, uh, and then we got to this other area and I saw this little castle on the floor. It's this little castle that my daughter has. It's this little princess castle. So I went up to it. I went up to the little princess castle and I looked. Two years old. Passed away. Then I went to another section of the cemetery and there was these cars and there was a message on the back of the tombstone about drunk driving and I looked at the other end of it and I saw somebody that was born in 1997. So for me, as a young person, you look, you go to, you expect to see the year 1916 on a tomb. 1918s and 1920s on tombs. You don't expect to see 97, 88, 81, 70, the 70s. I mean, 
it just blew my mind, utterly blew my mind as I began to contemplate and as I began to think death is no respecter of persons. And it's why now is the time to receive the Sabbath rest that Jesus offers us. Now is the moment to receive him into our lives. He offers you eternal rest, eternal Sabbath. And the first step into entering that rest is simple, simply this, by starting a relationship with Jesus. If you want to know how to do that, I, I would love to talk with you. I would love to pray with you this morning about doing that. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. The second step, though, is physically making the time to rest in our schedules. The time to start that is today. Don't wait until next week, until your schedule begins to pile up, until work begins to pile up for you to begin to determine that it's necessary for you to get rest. Don't wait until the heart attack comes and the stroke overwhelms you for you to begin to understand that the time for rest wasn't, yes, wasn't now, it's, it was yesterday. Take your rest now while Jesus is offering it. I want to share three points with you as I close this morning's service. As I close this morning's message. I encourage you, accept the gift of one day's rest a week. What day? That's up to you. Humble yourself to believe that you need it. Some of you are so arrogant that you don't even think that you need it. Oh, I can do it on my own. Oh, I'm better than them. Oh, I have, I have a better work ethic than they do. It, it, it's not about work ethic. The person who determines whether ethic, who determines ethics in general is named Jesus Christ. And if he thought that it was a good idea for you to have at least one day off per week, then he establishes the work ethic and what is ethical. And if he thinks it's a good idea, then surely it is. Be willing to admit that your health and your significance and your true advancement in life depend far more on God's labor than on yours. Last week I was so nervous in the hospital. But guess what? I love my wife and I was supporting her. I really believed that she could get through this. I said, but I was more nervous that it was 10.30. I looked at my watch. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. They're prepping for service. I'm nervous. I need to make sure everything goes well. We prepped. We talked about this time and time again. And I surely really do believe in John and in his ministry to the church. I said, but, but this was just, I know he's been prepping for this for a while, but he just found out Saturday night that he, he is on. I said, I'm praying for him in the hallways. I'm praying in tongues in the hallways. As my wife is going through labor, I'm praying that everything goes well. And I began to realize this. Any organization that is built on one man or one person or one woman is destined to fail. My first sergeant, so much wisdom he had. He said, Tom, I, he said, I remember when I, I, was, I was the commander of this ROTC unit, this young kid, that, that was my everything. And I was leaving off to go to school one year before the rest of my peers. And so I was leaving this role that I was in. I was nervous because, I mean, you're... You're a young person. This is your everything. That's all you think about. For other people, that might have been foolish. But for me, at that time, that was my everything. And he said, Tom, I want you to, to know something. I said, what's going to happen this year for starting when I leave? What are you guys going to do? Who are you guys going to put in place and, and to lead all of this? He goes, Tom, I want to share with you something. Your impact in life is like placing a hand into a bucket of water. As you remove that hand, there may be ripples that occur. But at the end of the day, when that hand is removed, the water stills again. And everything goes back to normal. 
everything rise and falls on you, then we have a problem. And so I thank God that we've been raising up folks like John, Pastor Norris, and Boris, and Carl, that have been able to take up these mantle and these reins in this church. That it wouldn't be different from if I'm here or if I'm not here. It doesn't matter. But I began to realize that in my own spirit, Your significance is not nearly as great as we think it is. And our true advancement and significance in life, it doesn't measure by whether or not I'm here every single Sunday, or whether or not you're in your job every single day to supervise and to make sure that things go well. It depends far more on God's labor than on ours. Number two, devote one day a week to focus your attention on God in a special way holy day and devote yourself to those things that deepen your love for God. And number three, accept where you think obedience to God requires otherwise. Let that day of rest and Godward focus be on the first day of the week as a witness to the world that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your Sabbath and of your life. We would love for you to be here you're able to but if you're not able to be here worshiping on a Sunday as a witness to who you are as a believer then find your Sabbath day throughout the week to worship and exalt Jesus I said it from the beginning of the service I said maybe some of you are feeling just incredibly overwhelmed and some of that is a result of not knowing when to pause and when to relax when to reset I want that to be this moment right now, this morning. A pause, a reset, an accepting of the eternal rest of Jesus and the Sabbath that is provided when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask our prayer team when they come forward this morning. We have some folks that, that would love to pray with you this morning. They're going to be here in these altars right over here. They want to pray with you. They want to make Jesus known to you and his rest known to you. Let's worship Jesus. Would you